You're listening to Infinite TBR, the podcast where we try not to buy more books. I'm Smack. And I'm Gabby. Spoiler alert! We're going to avoid major spoilers, and when we can, warn when we're going to discuss a particular book in detail so you can avoid that part of the episode. You can also check the show notes for time-stamped flags identifying potential spoilers. So in our last episode, we talked about our exploits at the North Park book fair. Yeah. And we haven't even touched... Oh, no. What happened at Book Girls? (laughs) (laughs) That was a while ago. It was a while ago, so we're not going to go too in-depth, and... It's best not thought about. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of damage. There was a lot of damage. Um, Gabby did way more damage than I did. We're I not was very reasonable this year, which is why the book I fair absorbed was such a... all of your unreasonableness. You did. So, but we are going to hit our the things from book crawl that are most noteworthy. So, most of book crawl, like it's not like we've gotten around to reading any of them. So, it's all. Lies, I have read one book. <laughs> one whole book from Book Crawl. Honestly impressive. I know. You were pretty impressed when I told you. But also, <laughs> I have technically read kind of one and a half, I think, from Book Crawl. Explain. So, I was just going to say, when we were book crawling, I was in the middle of Fire by Kristen Sure, yeah. And which is the sequel to Graceling. And while we were out and about, I just got Fire and Bitter Blue. Oh, so you were partway through a book you had. Yes. Okay. So I finished Fire with my new purchase. <laughs> and then I read Bitter Blue. That counts. So there we go. So you've read two books. Yeah. That's great. Good job. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you get that you were like looking forward to? I got well, I picked up a copy of The Space Between Worlds, which I had read, and everyone should go read it. That's by Micah, Micah Johnson. Johnson, I think. Yeah. And then I picked up a copy of Nettle and Bone yes. by T. Kingfisher, which we've also talked about. It's great. Go get it. And then also by her, mm-hmm. I picked up Brian and Roses, oh, which I haven't read, but you I did, did read when I was cat sitting. I read that one. So I was going to ask you what you thought. It was very similar to the Robin McKinley Ooh. Beauty and the Beast. It was very similar. Rose Daughter or Beauty? Because Robin McKinley wrote two. She did read two. And um, one of them is very great. And I don't know so much about the other one. I loved both of them. Okay. But I also haven't read them since I was about 13. But... Beauty is one of my mom's and my favorites of all time. It's like that one. I'm just saying that. Yeah, yeah I'm you're just it. saying. <laughs> but yay, that's it's exciting. like one of them. It was like reading Robin McKinley up until a certain point, and then you were like, oh, this is definitely TK. <laughs> it was good, though. It was fun. But I think those were the ones worth mentioning for sure. And I mean, Better Blue was awesome. Yeah. So. I haven't read that one since it came out, but I do remember being very impressed. Yes. It. Yeah. It was very well done. Very different in a lot of ways yeah it wasn't like the romance they set up i shouldn't say that spoiler but her growth and like through that whole book was just really interesting she was really cool and her just kind of finding her space as queen was just really cool yeah so yeah those were my book holiday i got highlights so far yeah i've got a 
couple that like I'm, I'm still very excited to get to. Yeah. One of them is Kindred by Octavia Butler. It's her vampire story. Book. Nope. That's Fledgling. No, you're right. Yeah, Fledgling. I don't know. I found that one for you. You sure did. Why do I keep calling it Kindred? Because you've been meaning to read Kindred forever. Um, And I got Lent by Joe Walton. Oh, yeah. Which is, it's about this monk that actually did live in Medici, Florence. I didn't know it was like a, based on a true well a true anything. guy but like <laughs> a true dude <laughs> yeah but they're like demons and all sorts of other stuff and that's it was either while she was writing it or right after it was released she sort of came out with the tiffany problem which i've explained in uh, the past yeah explain that for our listeners because um, so, i thought that was really cool and it also makes me mad and i don't like it. i know <laughs> it's it makes sort me of grumpy it's it's about how how much you can trust your readers to understand and accept and how far their suspension of disbelief will go. So Tiffany sounds like a very 90s name, right? Like yeah. it's a very American modern name. But Tiffany is a nickname for Theodora. And Tiffany was one of the most popular nicknames in, what is it, 1500s Italy? Yeah. Like the Florentine Renaissance, one of the most common names for women named Theodora was Tiffany. But if you name a character in 1500s Florence, Tiffany, no one will believe, like, you'll jolt all your readers out, they'll all hate you, it'll be chaos in the they'll pages. They'll hate you personally. They, they will. <laughs> so you can't use a historically accurate name from that time. And that infuriates yeah. me. Yeah, you were, the first time I told this to you, you were actually, like, quite put out. Upset. Yes. <laughs> I want to, like, I like knowing that I can learn from my reading. Yes. And to know that I could be so misled. <laughs> not misled. But I mean, I'm but never like, going to get... I mean, it's not like you would ever anyway. Like, there are a lot of... You always have to take anything uh, yeah. with a grain of All salt. For, yeah. But, but to know that the author does not trust you to follow what is actually true. Not even that, like, the author doesn't trust me, but the idea that, like, I would never be able to learn from, re- like, reading fiction that that was a common nickname, a just very... because in the publishing world it's not accepted as mm-hmm. a, a thing. A thing. Something about that just makes me really mad. <laughs> it's very a, frustrating. It's, a, it's a, like, a deliberately missed opportunity. Right. Is what it feels like. Yeah. But I really love that, that tidbit. It's, it's like something we've done to ourselves. Uh-huh. Like, it's... It's, it's, it's something we've done. Yeah, it's self-inflicted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, throwing your arms around. It's one of those things where the more I think about it, the madder I get. <laughs> uh, it looks like a very straightforward... Anyway. Anyway. The other ones I got... I got Old Man's War by John Scalzi, which I yeah. haven't read. That's like a SF classic that's that I haven't gotten to. The one, the Mysterious Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. I talked to you in Yep. <laughs> yep. Don't know his name. I don't know. I only have two people's names at Mysterious Galaxy. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> don't thank him until you've read it. I, well, it's a classic. It's, I. Oh, is it? A modern classic. Sure. Maybe I just know too many SF. I don't know. Anyway, so there was that one. Right. There's Fledgling. There's there's another one. But the fourth one is the one I have read. It's called Silence for the Dead by Simone St. James. Woo. And 
the titles of her books for most of her books are weird don't necessarily make sense <laughs> silence for the dead i guess you could metaphorically get there and then there's one called the other side of midnight which is cool and it's a line in the book but it's not it's not as you wouldn't pull it for yeah. the title yeah and then there's another one called an inquiry into love and death good title that was that was dumb it was because the love interest was a cop what anyway she started out writing her first five books including silence for the dead took place in the interwar period or like immediately after world war one mm -hmm. i don't think i've read anything past like 1923 or something and they're all technically paranormal romances but mostly it just means they're ghosts and a love interest is <laughs> not a ghost or is a ghost? No, the ghost is never a love interest. Okay. Like, like, it's not necromancy stuff like that. So her, the one I haven't read is called The Haunting of Maddie Claire, and that one won, like, three awards. Oh, wow. I own it. I haven't read it yet. But Silence for the Dead, I didn't realize, was by the same author. And I really liked that one. That one, there's an asylum in, like, the middle of nowhere, three-hour drive away from Newcastle in northern England. The main character... Her name is Kitty. She's on the run from her abusive father. She thinks her brother is dead because he went off to war and no one ever heard from him again. And she is flat broke. She pretends to be a nurse to get an interview at this asylum for shell-shocked soldiers. Say that three times fast. Shell-shocked and during the, the initial meeting, the opening scene, the head nurse is like, I know you're not a real nurse. It's very clear you're not a real nurse. You've definitely impersonated this person's handwriting to get a reference. She's my cousin. I know what her handwriting looks like, but I'm going to hire you anyway because we need people and we can't keep nurses, which is like. Big old red flag for employment right. purposes, but she has nowhere else to go. She's out of money. She can't even go back to London. And Exploit if she did, exactly, everybody's plan on, I mean, not everybody. The story is about dealing with trauma, whether that trauma is PTSD. Well, I mean, trauma is mostly PTSD. Right. War-based. Yeah. War-based domestic abuse. And, like, it gets sort of graphic in the domestic abuse, but it really clarifies that her PTSD is just as valid as the PTSD of this guy who didn't do any fighting, but he had to go through the battlefield after it was over and try to match body parts so they could be sent home. And so he is very messed up. Buddy. And he's being possessed at certain times, which doesn't help. Wait a second. <laughs> it's an asylum, right? Of course they're... I mean, like, it's actually a new asylum, so nobody's died of unnatural causes at the asylum. But it was, like, a private family home of this weird Swiss family with, like, a German-sounding last name and... They all just disappeared one day after they'd fired all their servants. And where did they go? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and there's definitely at least one ghost. So did they all die in the house? If they did, where are their bodies? And in the middle of this, Kitty is like trying to figure out how to take blood. 
with a needle and she's like okay so the the needle goes and screws into this part and and she finds like a a 101 nursing like nursing for dummies book and she's like oh thank god amazing and and through it all like she gets flashbacks to like her father just absolutely being horrible and then she one of the patients he's like this patient 16 nobody knows his name because he's he's like a war hero Mm -hmm. and nobody in the entire government wanted anyone to know that a war hero sounds right had suicidal ideation and tried to kill himself and ended up in a nut house because all of the patients there have just been shipped off by their families because they don't know what to do with them some of them drank till they got violent one guy had lost both his legs and is just so depressed he can't get out of bed sometimes even with help but like it's a fascinating look at how mental illness was, not mental illness, PTSD was viewed back then. And I just loved it. And I just, I really liked the two main characters. I liked all the other nurses. I just, I read it twice. I read it and then I finished it and I started over immediately because I knew if I did That's the only way. That's the only way I can reread books anywhere. And I knew I wanted to reread it. And then I went through the our local library system and I picked up Lost Among the Living, which is where the main character's husband was a RAF pilot who his plane was downed during the war and she's been like living as his aunt's paid companion because she has no family and she's got nothing else and she's just heartbroken. So Lost Among the Living. How was that one? That one, there were parts of it that I really liked, but I did not read it twice. Okay. You know, and then The Other Side of Midnight, I quite liked. Okay. That was the one I read immediately after Silence for the Dead. And in The Other Side of Midnight, the main character is like an actual psychic. And the whole story starts several years after her mother was, quote unquote, proven to be a fraud because her powers, she was also a psychic. Her mom, her, and then her sort of high-flying flapper friend are the only three known psychics in the whole world. And as she got older... Her mother started to lose her powers and so her mother was still doing seances and stuff but she had the main character like uh, behind a beaded curtain like summoning stuff and then they volunteered basically to be proven or disproven by this like science society of guys getting together trying to find ghosts and everything which is about as cringe as it sounds <laughs> <laughs> but the best part of that book was you learn that there's this interplay between the three women that happened before the book started and completely out of sight of the men who were administering these capital T tests. So like, it's very much a story about what women say and mean to each other in ways that maybe aren't visible to people Mm -hmm. who are outside the relationship. And at one point, the love interest finally like gets his shit together and figures out like, what had been happening and he's like i had no idea you had to go through so much and she was like yeah i know you had no idea we all knew you had no idea it wasn't about you oh boy <laughs> so i really like that, that does sound <laughs> and the one that they didn't have at the library that i had to go back to meet Hugh to buy was an inquiry into love and death where this the main character has to go off to some small town in england outside of london and settle her uncle's estate sort of like he'd been renting a house so he was a ghost hunter which was like quite disreputable oh yeah this is the one you had when we met up and i read like the first page 
<laughs> I, don't I was like, that. her parents sound suspicious. Oh yeah. <laughs> or the, I thought the lawyer sounds the lawyer suspicious. suspicious. And you were like, no, her parents are her parents. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. It that one had the scariest ghost by far. It was a great. Oh, you did like that one. I did like that one. Oh, yeah. Okay, I thought that was the one you were kind of eh about. I mean, there were parts I was eh about, but like the ghost bits were awesome. Okay. Were like a plus. Okay. So. The only other one I'm in the middle of, The Broken Girls, which mm-hmm. is super different. She, There's still a ghost, but it's dual timeline. In 1950, at this girls' school for last chance girls. And then 2014, when the book came out, this woman who's a journalist and whose older sister, 20 years ago, had been found dead on the like softball field of the school that had been closed down for... 30 years. So there's this there's this big gap between the 1950s timeline and the present day, but then also... And there's that murder in the middle. There's there's multiple murders in the middle. There's multiple <laughs> murders in the middle. So I haven't gotten all the way through it, but it is interesting to like watch these two timelines come together. Not so much in terms of plot yet, but like you can see it being seeded in, which I always enjoy. Yay! Yeah. And it's, it's quite different, but it's in the it's, way you like so far? I mean, like, it's it's more like a straight-up suspense or thriller story okay. than, like, a paranormal thing. I would like some more ghosts, but, like, that's okay. <laughs> I don't need those. Need more it's ghosts. It's very well written. <laughs> so we're on the Simone St. James train. Yep. Are you going to keep going with her other one? I'm going to read the, uh, the Maddie Claire one. Okay. Her first one. The one that won a bunch of awards. Yeah. Because I own it. Oh. It's an it. e-book. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Immediately preempted. I almost, when we were at Miku today, I almost leaned over to like pick it up. I know where it is on the shelf, and I almost threw it at you, and I was like, well, I'll wait till I read the first. <laughs> Probably for the best. Just in case. my file from today. But if I love it, you will be the first to hear about it. Yay. I was also going to laugh at you because you said that you only read one of your book crawl, right? <laughs> yeah. And you but read, then I went through her whole backlist. You read one of one of my book crawl books. I did, yeah. But you also read The Witch Boy by Molly Ostertag. Is that your book crawl? That I also got during book crawl. No so you way! you read more books from my book crawl than you've read from your book crawl. Well, I had a whole week at your place. That's true. I haven't had my week at your place your yet. Mean ass cat to keep me company. <laughs> my little demon, <laughs> little monster. Who's so mean to you? It's embarrassing. It's okay. I didn't even pull her tail this time. <laughs> she just doesn't like me. <laughs> I don't pull her tail. <laughs> Would never. I touch it sometimes. Just yeah. give her a little poke. And only when Gabby's around. <laughs> it's fine when I'm around. A lot of things are fine when you're around. When you're not, the world is hell. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that next we're just going to go over recent reads since the last time we talked. You mentioned all your Simone St. James. That's all my recent reads. I mentioned Kristen Kishore. We're actually about to start Winter Keep. Which is before. Oh boy. And we were laughing because every time she does a sequel, she like had the kingdom. Kind of. <laughs> or she did with fire. Like, she had like the one kingdom, or the, it's like the six kingdoms or the seven kingdoms right. or whatever. In the original. In the original. Sweet. And then in the sequel, 
all of a sudden she zooms out and it's like, oh, there's a secret kingdom <laughs> with a slightly different magic system. And there's, like, no interchange between the two, except for one person. <laughs> and it's fine. And then the third one, those worlds start colliding, and you're like, oh, now we're going to get continue to explore these two di- very different... Yeah. And then the fourth one's like, no, actually, we're going to zoom out again. <laughs> Add on more countries. That sounds that cool. no one knows about. But it sounds like they're going to be... I think they're like telepathic animals in this one or something. And I'm very excited like about sentient? that. Like sentient? Yeah, like I think... Language speaking? Double check what... I remember thinking it was going to involve sea creatures. God, People speak to telepathic sea creatures, adopt telepathic foxes as pets, and fly across the sky in ships attached to balloons. Yes. That sounds pretty great. Yeah. And... It's interesting and funny because there's a character in the first book that's like the throwaway, dumb male foil to the love interest. And he's the one who, like, has a thing for the main character, but is, like, stupid about it. (laughs) And then they have a big falling now because he's stupid. (laughs) And we were reading this. We were doing this with our high school book club thing. And we were being you and our number one fan and... Yep. Others. And others. And we were just like, this guy's so stupid. I'm so glad he's out of the picture or whatever. And it's just such a Oh headache. no, is he in the fourth one? He comes back in the third one. Really? And is like, has grown up, because it's like, what, ten years later? Oh, yeah, that's true. And he's like, yeah, I was a stupid kid. But it's funny because Katza, the main character of the first book, holds grudges like no other and is still just mad at him. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, she's, like she's still mad at me for, like, stupid shit I did ten years ago because I was a dumb <laughs> kid. And we're just, we think it's so funny that, because you never see that type of mm-hmm. male character go through any growth at or all. anything. Yeah. He's just, like, there to serve a purpose and then disappears. Yeah. yeah. So it's very funny. And now he's, like one of the main characters in the fourth book. <laughs> and we're all like, I didn't think we'd see the day where we'd be like, team, get it! <laughs> so yeah, so I'm interested to see where that goes. I'm excited for that. I think Laura read the first two or three chapters already and is delighted. Oh, Enchanted, good. I think she said. Enchanted, yeah. my goodness. And I'm like, oh boy, but I really gotta finish Master of Iron by Trisha Levenseller. Tell me your thoughts. All right. So, yeah. So, Blade of Secrets is the first one. Master of Iron is the second one. I'm, like, 100 pages from the end. They're delightful. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, like, a fun adventure. Yeah. Fun adventure with a really fun YA cast of characters. And and they're all total goofballs. (laughs) And there's, like, really serious high-stakes stuff going on, but it's not... It's not useless angsty stuff. Right. Like, they have some tension, some conflicts, but it's all reasonable. It's all well-addressed. It's all, like, like she has a sister, and they, they're very they're codependent. very different, and they're very codependent, and they're, like, navigating their differences while on the run from this very dangerous warlord. So what happens in this first book? The premise. Yes, the premise. And I think we've I think you brought it up on the oh, podcast before briefly. We, anyway. we have talked about it a little bit, but what happens to recap? Ziva is a magical smith. 
She makes swords. She yes. makes weapons. Metalsmith? Blacksmith. Maybe blacksmith, thank you. <laughs> I'm just really it's not Bladesmith. That's what she is, but that's not it. Um, they call her Smithy all the time. Because I don't think it's actually blacksmith. I mean, like, she does some blacksmithing, but, like, that's, like, iron. That's what she... Is that all she works in? I mean, mostly. She okay. does, it's like, they get iron from the southern mountains, and then they mix it with charcoal, or heat with charcoal to make steel. Okay. So... So I, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know. I'm picking up a little bit about... Plaxmith. <laughs> like she'll throw lingo around. I'm like she researched this <laughs> and had to put it in there. Yep. Once you I have to it, know this, you do too. So, so she can speak to whatever she's making as she's smithing it to bestow a magical property upon the item that she creates. So she can do it with like tools and, but mostly she creates weapons and she's an artist. That's one of the things that comes back to you often is like her whole thing is like, she does the magic and she makes the blades, but her love is in the creation and the artistry of like creating the details on the hilts and, and things like that. And sometimes she's very purposeful about it and creates abilities on more or less on purpose but her magic isn't very precise and is sometimes more accidental than not and one day she gets a commission from this not retired general but the general for the old monarchy who's no longer the general because the monarchy's you are making this so much more complicated. I am, sorry. Okay, okay. nope, nope, I get to try now. <laughs> but you did last time. Did I? Yeah. Maybe that's why I can do it fast. So Ziva has anxiety. She lives with her sister. They're the only family. And at this horrible party, she meets this very, like, chill woman. And they talk about swords. And Ziva really likes her. And so she accepts a commission from this woman, who turns out to be a warlord, who wants to take over the entire planet. I mean, we don't know the planet, but, like, the whole continent. Yeah, the whole country. And Ziva yeah. only figures out that she's not a great person when Ziva accidentally makes an indestructible super sword yeah. and then decides she can't give it to the warlord because she'll take over the world with it. Yep. And so Ziva and her sister hire a mercenary and collect a scholar dude to come with by accident and they go on the run. Everything with the sword. Accident. Now you can continue. Okay. <laughs> Tell me what you think about the portrayal of anxiety. Like, I haven't seen... I don't think I've ever seen a portrayal of anxiety in a main character before. So, like, in those terms, very different. Just, like, like we've read a couple of these now recently where the main character isn't neurotypical. And I really like getting that, that representation in there. <laughs> Uh, the way she spirals, I really like. It's really interesting, and I recognize a lot of those same patterns. Yeah. And then so- sometimes I'll start spiraling. Oh no! Before, like, not like, uh, not as badly as she does, but I'll I'll be like, oh, if this were me, I would start thinking about this. <laughs> and then the next paragraph, she'll be like. What, because the anxious paragraphs are often set up with these, like, series of questions that she's asking about herself in the situation. And I was like, oh, what if they interpret like this? What if they think this? And then she goes through the exact same questions <laughs> that, like, I know I would be like. And I'm like, oh. Oh. I might be familiar with this. Uh, she deals with it way better than I ever, ever oh, yeah. would. 
Like, that is what makes her a hero. Yes. <laughs> and some of that is she's, when the book starts out, and she she's in a good situation to manage anxiety in the mm-hmm. beginning, because it's a relatively small <laughs> town. Her profession... She's respected. She's respected. Her profession lends itself to isolation. She has her sister to manage all the social interactions, and she has a really good relationship with her sister. So her sister helps mediate a lot of the things that would cause Ziva the most anxiety. But Tamara is very different, is very much a social butterfly, has these like career goals that are very not compatible with Ziva's. Because Ziva just view wants of their life to together. stay the same, yes. pretty much. And Tamara's very, it is just once adventure, wants to go out and see the world. And that's something that, you know, Ziva has to come to terms with. But, but yeah, I thought it was. Especially when she has to go with her. Yes. <laughs> yep. And then they get thrown into this situation. And I, I like that the way panic attacks are presented, I like that they're, they're not, they don't just happen when it's convenient for right. plot purposes. It very much feels as if, like, they don't always happen predictably. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, she's, like, so stressed right now and therefore a panic attack happens. Like, often she can get through the most stressful situations and sometimes they're just, there's yep. no noticeable trigger. She can maybe recognize, like, what caused the spiral in the first place, but, and then the second book gets into, like, some of the, her developing coping mechanisms as she's, like, grown and met more people, and I thought that was really interesting, too. Because you can recognize a lot of the, like, behavioral cognitive yep. therapy yep. stuff <laughs> that you're supposed to she had, like, even if she had access, regular access to a doctor, like, mm-hmm. they don't have psychiatry. <laughs> in general. Right. Right. In fantasy world. <laughs> yes. There's, there's no, you know, Xanax or right. Ativan or whatever. And at, at one point in, very relatively recently in Master of Iron, she brought up how, oh, that was one of the other interesting, like, dynamics introduced is in the second book, the idea of her forge as a safe space where she's like, this has always been a place of like love and safety and security for her, gets ruined by the events of mm-hmm. the beginning of the second book. And later in the second book, she has to reclaim it. Yeah. And uh, I really liked that progression of, I have to like relearn and reestablish something that used to be a love and passion of mine so that I can re. But she goes into how she didn't realize how much the exercise of forging really like helped help yeah. her deal with anxiety. And that made me think of all the runs I go on to do with my anxiety. And, but yeah, and they're, like, the thing I love the most, I think, about these books, though, is the way the characters interact with each other. <laughs> Aren't they the best? They're so great. Even even when they're being dumb. They're, like, swing. like, everything they do is reasonable, but they're also, like, in the most delightful ways, so dumb. <laughs> And like misunderstand each other in ways where I'm like, yeah, I see, I see why she. But also, you know, is the re like, right? My favorite part, my favorite part is when at the beginning ish of the second one, the love interest tries to be like all noble, self sacrificing, and she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? 
No! The worst part is at the end of the first book, he makes a decision that to basically save her instead of her sister. Mm -hmm. And she's furious about it. And at the beginning of the book, he makes a decision to save her sister at the expense of his own life. Right. And she gets pissed about that, too. (laughs) And he's like, what do you want? I'm trying. <laughs> I can't win. <laughs> I thought you wanted me to sacrifice myself. And she's just mad no matter what he does. It's so delightful. And the and the, the part in the first Yeah, one, the part where when he makes like a very reasonable decision, he just hesitates. That's it. Yeah. Like they're like, oh, we gotta go save Tamara. And he waits for two seconds to be like, should we have a plan before we... And you're like, how could you hesitate for a second and hold it against him for, like, pages and pages and pages? (laughs) Everyone does. And he's like... It's... I love them so much. They're so great. Their dynamic is just hysterical. Oh my goodness. That had been sitting on my desk for a long time. Yay! And I'm so glad I finally got to it. And I just, I love them so much. And then also there's this great play with anxiety. Yeah. And and how to function in the world. And I love seeing, I love seeing the tension between her and her sister because it doesn't, it's always from a place of love. Because sometimes, you know, you get the sister dynamic where they're at each other's throats. Mm. And it's never like that. It's all just, we want different things. Yeah. In my, if I get everything I want, that's not compatible with everything you want. And we have to try and find that middle ground and learn how to be happy, but have, like, get out of this codependence. And the, the the interesting dynamic they set up with Temra as the younger sister, who's the fighter of the two, right. who like learns to fight, and then gets so frustrated because she wants to protect Ziva for once, and is so frustrated and mad that Ziva's always like the, the older sister and is always sacrificing herself, and Ziva gets really upset about her sister being in danger. <laughs> And it's this just like this fundamental tension between the two of them where Ziva just wants to pack her sister into a box where she can be safe and her sister wants the freedom. It's like go on adventures, but also like be the one who saves her sister for once. Because they, their dynamic at the beginning is more like because they are on their own. It's before they collect their found family. And Ziva's the one who has always taken care of Tamara. Tamara deals with customers and talks to people and exchanges money, whatever. But Ziva's the one who had to go out and get an apprenticeship. Like when she had ten or yeah, something. And I had mean. to pay the guy pay her way out of apprenticeship. And Tamara didn't make money. You know, she went to school, which is what Ziva wanted. Yeah. But like it's a very parental relationship mm-hmm. instead of sibling. And then the whole book turns into a sibling. A healthy sibling relationship. Yay. <laughs> I love these. And books. the way the stakes escalate. Through the whole duology is really yeah. well done, too. Very, very well plotted. And they're well connected. Mm-hmm. I remember you were texting at some point in the first one, and you were like, they're about to reach their destination, but I'm not at the end of the book. <laughs> it was like a third, a third yeah. or fourth, 
And that was like their first destination, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> this is not gonna happen. This is not gonna go the way I thought it was gonna go. I saw like like the, I thought the whole book would be their journey to that right. one destination. Right. Nope. They go to a lot of places. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you liked them so much. Yeah. I know you're not done with the second one. Oh, they're great. There's, yeah. there's no... I don't see how it could end in a way that wouldn't be satisfying. It's not that kind of yeah. adventure story. And it's just like the pure adventurousness is also... Like, it's a it's a very questy type thing, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we go to a place and there's a new problem and a new adventure. And it's usually smaller scale than the bigger overarching one, right. but... And a lot of it, you know, is them figuring out their own inner dynamics, too. So it's really well balanced, and you, like, have this, like, very stressful plot thing, and then they gotta figure out one of their emotional things, and then there's a bigger plot thing to deal with, (laughs) and then they gotta deal with the emotional fallout from that, and kiss and make up, and then... I love it. I love it. I'm so glad you like it. I also think it's very funny that Secret Eater was this big evil sword of the first book. That uh, was created because she, while she was forging Kellen Watts by, <laughs> and she looked up and she was struck with lust for the first time. <laughs> and again, is like that was another part I really liked. She's great ace. Yeah, yeah, and that oh, was yeah. done very well. I love seeing that rep. That yeah. was very, that very much spoke to me, especially because he was so confused about it. And she was like, "No, you don't understand. Yeah. Statistically, it's going to be you or no yeah. one." Never felt this yeah. way. We'll never feel this way again. Uh, and I, I just think it's so, and I was telling you this earlier too, it's so funny and distressing to me coming back to her anxiety and how it unfolds in the plot that like she has to learn how to manage her anxiety in these like, extra stressful situations. But everything that especially triggers her anxiety, like social situations, the concept of having a romantic partner (laughs) all that like a lot of those cause huge problems in the first place like every time she branches out and tries to do something outside of her comfort zone it just comes back with awful life threatening consequences and i'm like your anxiety's not gonna get (laughs) like her first party ends with that like the kid ostracizing her sister and getting basically run out of town and then she, like, meets this warlord and is like, oh, we actually have an okay rapport. And she ends up being this... The giant yes. big bad. <laughs> and then she's like, looks up and has, like, sexual attraction for the first time and accidentally creates a sword that's going to destroy the world. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe sexual attraction isn't worth <laughs> <laughs> And that just, like, kept happening. <laughs> it was like, buddy... No wonder you're a wreck. (laughs) How are you not more of a wreck? It's great. It's delightful. Highly recommend. What else is have you been reading recently? Is that pretty much all Um, same thing? I read the Boy Witch ones. Those are fun. Oh yeah. There's not a whole lot to say about them. They're very cute. I think the first one's probably the best. Okay. The First one's called The Boy Witch. The Witch Boy. Or The Witch Boy. <laughs> yes. By Molly Ostertag. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a middle grade graphic novel, and it's this family of magical people, and the 
boys are always shapeshifters and the girls are always witches. And the main character, Aster, is a boy, is told he is a boy. He's raised as a boy, but he wants to be a witch. He doesn't want to shape change or anything. And then there's this family secret that comes back to bite everybody in their ass. And he helps save the day. Yay! <laughs> Spoiler! I know. <laughs> and then the second one is strengthening the friendships that he made in the first one. And then there's a new person who comes to town who has magic but doesn't have great control over it. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. It's bad. Uh-oh. But only as bad as a middle grade right. is going to get. <laughs> And the third one is sort of the gelling of this group of friends into his larger family. And, like, they are all very important to each other and finding their groove type thing. And Aww. I know, they're really sweet. And they're, they're quick reads. It was very nice. Speak. When I was at your place reading, I would read a novel. I read, like, seven books that week. Yay! <laughs> I watched you go by on Goodreads and I was like, she's having so much fun <laughs> So My I, cat might be terrorizing her, but at least she's reading something. I had a delightful time at your place. Good. I read a book a day, pretty much. Yeah. I'd get up in the morning, yeah. I'd walk to a nearby bakery, and then I would eat a croissant on the beach. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. And then I would go back to your place and say hello to your demon and read a book, and then I'd read a middle grade graphic novel. As like a palate cleanser. And then I'd read another book. And then I'd read another one of your middle grade graphic novels. As another palate cleanser. It was really great. So perfect. It was delightful. Because I I couldn't do book after book after book after book. Right. just, it was too much. Yeah. Because it was in a day. That was all I did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's only only so, as much as we love reading, there's only someone you can stare at words on a page without a break. Some sort of break. To a different genre. At least. (laughs) With at least like pictures to break out. <laughs> Speaking of as bad middle grade can go, uh-oh. we finish the still the high school book club with Laura. Oh yeah, Laura, yeah, the troll and the, king, yeah. Right? We finished the Great Troll War by Jasper Ford. <laughs> I don't think you have to say those twice. I don't twice. think so, but it makes me laugh every time when I do. That's the fourth and final Last Dragon Slayer book. Mm-hmm. Which I think I've mentioned before. I think came up in one of our summer bingo showdown, throwdown, <laughs> yes, yes, whatever, whatever we uh, And we were talking about this a little bit earlier today. But those books, he strikes a very lighthearted, humorous tone, very Terry Pratchett esque, but middle grade. But the content is very dark and quite a bummer. Especially if you think about it for too long. Like, there's an orphan-based economy. This whole, like... What? They... It's like the Ununited Kingdoms is the setup. So, first of all, it's like all UK references mm-hmm. that go way right over my head. But... <laughs> so I have to look up a lot of places that they bring up. And there are these in-jokes with these UK historical figures that I simply am not familiar with. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And, you know, like, jokes about Cornwall. And I'm like... <laughs> I know that's a place. <laughs> I know it's a place they make jokes about. Right, apparently. <laughs> so, like, little things like that, but they're all, like, dystopian fantasy kingdoms, these ununited kingdoms. So, the, the king is a selfish... Dickbag. Yeah. Okay. And she is 
16, 15, 16, and runs the wizardical company. They outsource wizards to do jobs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the actual manager disappeared. So she just does it because she's like, orphans are basically indentured servants in this world. Great. And there are these very occasional troll wars where they send everyone in the country off to go fight the trolls because the trolls eat people and they're trapped behind these walls and they want that land back. Or they just feel like fighting. (laughs) And then all the parents die and leave all these orphans behind. Jesus. So then they all end up in orphanages and the orphanages farm them out, basically. What? It's... And that's, like, background world building. <laughs> so it's... He'll just, like, drop little details. And then it's, like, set up... And again, it's very lighthearted, humorous tone. But you think about it for two seconds, you're like, this is a bummer. <laughs> and the first book, she's tasked to go slay the last dragon. Like, she's, like, a chosen hero type thing, so she's the last dragon slayer. But she's trying to figure out whether she should... Because Whoa. there's a question of... Intelligence? Well, they know that the dragons are intelligent, but there's, like, a question of whether they're evil or not. Like, whether she... Sh- like, it's it's weird. There were some weird things about the first one. And then in the end, you're not even sure whether she should or not. And Is then... She? Future Gabby here. Spoilers for the last Dragon Slayer series by Jasper Ford run until about the 51 minute mark. So now's the time to fast forward if you don't want spoilers for that series. Spoiler alert! (laughs) Yes! And then, but because she does, the way the dragons work is if they. So in this world a long time ago, the mighty Shandar made a deal with all the kingdoms, and they said, we'll give you a bunch of gold if you take care of the dragon problem. And the dragon, like, the typical medieval dragon thing, they'll pick people up and fly off with them. Fly off with them, whatever. And so they want the dragon problem dealt with, and Shandar's like, okay, and the way Shandar dealt with it is he basically trapped every individual dragon in their own bubble somehow, I forget the details, and the reason he did that is because if dragons die of natural causes they're dead if they are killed they kind of mitosis oh my god and create like but so when she kills the last dragon he turns into two babies and so it was this like and for some reason he couldn't tell her that directly (laughs) and there was a whole question of whether the dragon was moral or not and whether shandar was more like she's trying to figure out why they had done it in the first place and what the setup was and trying to figure out the underlying magic and people were trying to like give her endorsements and get her advocacy he's the last dragon slayer so they're trying to like get her on ads and stuff that's like there's some like weird things and sometimes it's just funny and sometimes it's just sad. <laughs> like, what? So she kills the last dragon slayer after her, like, basically pet dog gets shot by another character. So that's the thing. is like, it'll be funny and lighthearted. And then something that's a huge bummer happens. And you're like, wow. Why? <laughs> and then, like, the second book was more balanced and was my favorite at the time. And the third one was in this like, weird anarchist kingdom, okay. which was kind of fun. It was things like people go, I forget what it's called, but it's, they go from, it's, like, thrill-seeking, but, like, they get odds on their likelihood of dying, and it's, like, if you go, you have, 
a 50% chance of, like, I will get you through this kingdom alive. <laughs> and those are good odds. It's one of those, like, you go for the thrill-seeking and right. the, chan- the chance at certain death kind of thing. Right. But you're, like, very likely to die if you go, like, hang out in this kingdom. But it's, like, almost like a theme park thing. That's weird. It's so weird. But, and they go for, you know, various reasons, but, and then they, like, do their whole quest and have their shenanigans and things happen, and they come back, and the last, like, five pages of the book, they find out that their home kingdom was overrun by trolls and everyone's dead. What? (laughs) So they have to deal with that in the fourth book. And everyone's dead? Most everyone's dead. Like, one of the side characters in the third book is the princess, and they go back and they find out that, like, Castle is destroyed. Her family's dead. She's the only one left in her family. And wow, so things like that. But the fourth book was like that, where you have this like very jarring effect of this juxtaposition of this lighthearted, humorous. We we're having a fun little <laughs> great adventure. But like, and pets are dying, and there's it's war, and how are we gonna deal with this problem with math? Very bad math. Ford <laughs> is bad at math. But the the climax of the fourth book was so powerful and emotional. That's nice. And ended so well, and was still really sad. It made me cry. But it was also really good. I'm really <laughs> mad about it. You sound kind of mad about it. But it was really good. But I'm still mad. <laughs> I'm in this trap. trapped in this circle. I'm, I'm mad about it. But it was good. But I'm mad about it. So I don't know that I would recommend that. Like, really? I don't know that I would recommend it as a middle grade. Right. Because it's just it's sad. I don't know if... Maybe, like, the age group it's meant for would be able to handle it better than <laughs> I could. Maybe, I don't know. Like, it wouldn't bother them? I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't. I wonder if it's one of those things where if you, like, really realize and internalize what's going on, you're like, you know when you're young and you kind of idealize the orphan condition kind mm-hmm. of thing? Like, if you're maybe still caught in that vibe okay. a little bit, maybe it's less... I don't hey, know. This it's is kind of head dies though. Yeah, that thing's kind of. I'm not gonna read it, but it sounds very intriguing. Yes, I am intrigued, but not enough to yeah. read it. We sent you some passages. <laughs> you got the vibe. There were parts that were very funny, but there were also parts where everybody died. So. Yeah, <laughs> rocks falling, everyone dies. And sometimes it would be very abrupt too, like a couple pages, and all of a sudden this person and she had like a almost love interest who like. Spent so much of his magic in the third book that he aged himself to death to save their lives. What? <laughs> Jesus Christ. A lot of this is spoilers that I'm going to have to <laughs> play around with later. Oh but my God. Yeah. Well, and then my other recent reads worth mentioning are the Slouch Witch trilogy, which was just by, by Helen, Helen Harper. Yeah. Right? yeah. Which is just delightful. And if you just want a fun witchy romance. It's pitched as, like, she's lazy yes. and has been pulled into this adventure that requires too much effort. Yes. And <laughs> and the love deliver. interest is the exact opposite. Yes. Very, <laughs> very serious. Fun. Very charged. Very By the book. Give it your all. Go to the gym every morning. <laughs> and the that way... Like the funniest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the way she gets out of things 
it's just, just by I love any her. means necessary. Yes. <laughs> and I love seeing, like every time her inner dialogue, which was which is more effort, dealing with this or figuring out a way to not deal with this, <laughs> and her just weighing which is more effort, which is <laughs> very fun. I also really liked how like as the trilogy goes, you learn like why she doesn't see a point in bothering. Yeah. That was, I was not expecting that to be so moving. Yeah. It's just great. It was. Just fun. They were just fun. They were mm. pandemic reads. They're any time. Well, they were my pandemic oh, reads. Oh, yes. They would have been Your great. vacation reads. Yeah, they're my vacation reads. <laughs> your pandemic reads. They're great for pandemics and vacations. <laughs> Multi-purpose. Yay. <laughs> and I read Let the Mountains Be My Grave by Francesca Tachi. I think so. Say it? I don't know how to say it. Which what did you think? It's a perfect novella. I was really worried. I was so worried. It's about a, someone who's like the patron of an old Etruscan goddess in of the mountains of Italy. Yeah. During World War II. And they're called the Partisans. I didn't... Yeah, I learned I so did, much about... Yeah. I didn't know what a... Par- I mean, like, I know what a Partisan is right. in modern parlance, but like... A partisan was, like, an Italian guerrilla fighter. Yeah. Which is pretty freaking cool. And I have not often considered the political dynamics of being in Italy during World War II and all the different tensions. Because Italy's not where anyone focuses on, like, retellings. It's always Germany or UK. Sometimes France. Yes. So. That was very interesting. Very interesting. Very different point of view. And then I was really stressed and worried at the beginning because... They're fighting Nazis, and the main character kind of has a death wish. (laughs) And he has this... His love interest is a really hard communist, and is trying... And you find out they have this really sweet moment where he's like, the reason I basically keep trying to convert you to communism with me so you have something to live for, because I can tell you have a death wish... And it's so, so sweet. sweet. And I was <laughs> like, so stressed. Really messed up. But absolutely but so adorable. Great. I loved it. That's probably one of my favorite Neon Hemlock novellas. Neon Hemlock is the publisher. So if you're looking for something sweet and shoot some Nazis. Yeah. Extra dimensional horrors. Yeah. Eat it. <laughs> and then I read American Born Chinese by Jean Wen Young. How was that? That was really fun. I was what sending was you guys some screenshots. That was the one that's a graphic novel with the monkey king. Oh who yeah. Learns about God, that was weird. It was <laughs> so interesting. There are three parallel timelines kind of one is about this monkey king god in Chinese folklore who hears about this party that the immortals and the demons are all having he's like, a party, I'll have a party. Shows up at this party, and they're like, you can't come in, you're a monkey, ha ha ha. And basically gets laughed out the door, and he gets pissed. Rightfully so. Beats everyone up at the party. (laughs) And then goes down this path of trying to become more human, basically. Yeah. And, like, become more powerful, become more worthy, like, deserving of respect of his right. fellow gods, and wants to be able to just basically beat everyone down into, and get rid of everything that makes him a monkey right. in exchange for this kind of respect. So, yeah. there's that storyline. There's a storyline of this, he starts off in third grade, I think, this kid who moves from somewhere in America to somewhere else in America, 
And it's just about normal kid stuff where he, but he's an Asian kid and all the like subtle and maybe not so subtle racial macro microaggressions growing up as a kid and the insensitivity of kids Mm -hmm. and the like brainlessness of teachers and other adults and stuff, but also very normal middle school kid dreams and desires and stuff and growing up and stuff. So he has this like this tension with himself and and his own racial identity. And then there's this third storyline that's this really painful racist television show. Oh my god. That, so you're just getting screen caps of this, like, white high school kid whose Chinese cousin, I forget his name, but his Chinese cousin comes to visit and, like, messes up his whole school life because he's just for, like, very bad Asian stereotype reasons. Oh, no. And just makes a fool of himself. It's just this, like, very goofy, awful Asian, like, painful stereotype type thing. And everything worse about, like, (sighs) and it's, you're like, I could see this as an American TV show back in, like, the day. Yeah. And would not that long ago. And the way those three storylines end up intersecting and interweaving, because they're all very similar in sort of their core themes and this like idea of identity Mm. and coming and what you're willing to change about yourself to serve other people kind of and their perceptions and like what you're willing to sacrifice for that and some very interesting things going on and I really like how they all ended up interweaving and so many moments just caught me by surprise and I just found myself laughing and then you know you get these several scenes where you're just like but yeah that was a really really great graphic novel so those are all my recent reads worth noting was there anything else you wanted i started a bunch of stuff i haven't finished much of anything oh yeah you're reading a bunch of things (laughs) (laughs) so i keep starting books finishing would be so satisfying but i haven't reached that point many of them yet we want to read what we want to read. I know. Well, I clearly Grant is going to be in Mysterious Galaxy soon. Next oh, so week. you have to finish. Yeah. Well, I don't have to finish oh. it, but like I have clearly Grant's. I got an uh, advanced reader copy of A Crown of Ivy and Glass, and its main character is this girl, the youngest child of a rich family, and they're known for like their fancy magic and their richness, and she's allergic to magic, <gasps> and it makes her like horribly ill. Oh, no. And there's this, like, it's not a convent, but it's like a, an order of warrior nuns, sort of. I, by the way, appreciate that very hard bunk when you turn that over. I know. It's, it's a paperback, but it's, like, chunky. It's, it's very sad. I'm like, because it's an arc, it's, I don't think it's going to hold up super well. But, like, it's real nice while it does. <laughs> you need to read it fast enough that if you know you love it and want a real copy, you can get that one and then that one's signed. That's too fast. I can't. <laughs> I can't pull that together. <laughs> I guess it's not necessarily your move either, like once you read it. Right. It's mine. Yeah. Can't have it. Mine. Yeah. Anyway, so right. she's allergic to magic and there's this order of warrior nuns who take like a daughter. It's usually the youngest daughter, but she's too sick to be a magic warrior nun. So they take the middle daughter and 
she loves her sister, the metal sister, with like this desperate, guilt-ridden, just absolutely adores this, the, her sister. How and mad is the sister? That the sister is very graceful about it. She's one okay. of the best warrior nuns there are. But like, they turn into, this isn't much of a spoiler. I'm only 40 pages in. <laughs> so this isn't really a spoiler. But they're fighting, there's like this mist barrier around the civilized world and on the other side of the mist are these monsters that try to get through. And so the warrior nuns turn into these like harp. I think they're literally harpies with like talons and feathers and scaly skin Yay! and terrifying eyes. And the main character sees her sister turn into one for the first time. And so there's this knee jerk horror and revulsion for this girl that she just fucking adores on every other level. And like this girl lives in guilt. <laughs> She got her second sister sent to the nunnery to be a warrior. She is allergic to magic. Can't help with her family stuff. There's all sorts of stuff that is going on, but she can't help. So she doesn't bother to do anything. So she spends her life being a socialite and she's really good at that, but she sort of hates herself for not being able to like do anything else. I was really on board for the harpies and now I'm like, I know the harpies are going to be so cool. But yeah, it's so far it's a lot of angst and I think the self-loathing is more like depression. Right. And she has crazy panic attacks. Mm. And at one point, like even this early into the book, 40, 45 pages, her best friend is like, I'll help you with this one thing, but you have to promise to talk to someone. There must be someone else in the world who gets panic attacks. They call them the panic. So it's pretty clear what it is. Right, right. <laughs> What but this be? it's kept secret so like she doesn't know if anyone else has ever dealt with this right how do you and who's doctors gonna just tell you i'll use magic so she can't like they'll make her sick right so like it's i mean it's very interesting because she's just she wants magic she wants to be normal she wants to be cool whatever and she's just super depressed and anxious but i am only 40 pages in there i like how be... we're both reading books about anxious people and <laughs> very different vibes. <laughs> That's true. They are very different. This is they call this Bridgerton meets a court of thorns and roses. I barely know how to say it without calling it Akatar. Just call it Akatar. <laughs> <laughs> a court of thorns and roses. So and it's <laughs> it hasn't gotten great reviews online. No, it's getting like yeah, it's getting good reviews. Yeah, it's, but like I haven't read For any whatever trade reason reviews and i do know that the published date got pushed back like multiple times and by like very weird usually when a published date gets pushed back it's like by a season like it goes from a spring book to a summer book summer book to an autumn right. release and this one it was supposed to come out in like mid-may and they were like okay at the end of may no wait in the beginning of june no wait like the end of june specific like, little logistical weird problem. yeah weird stuff huh. and there's stuff going on behind the scenes in the publishing of yeah. it that so i mean at least i'm going in with a very low expectation right which helps so, yep always go in with low expectations <laughs> do you expect the worst no one can hurt you <laughs> that's a healthy way to go about life yep reading and life <laughs> Okay, well, this has been another <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> a 
another PSA. No, that was a bad PSA. That wasn't other, bad. My, Don't uh, listen. Our other PSAs are excellent. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't start making them sarcastic because our other ones are actually legitimate. <laughs> so that's what you're reading. So I've got what that one. Things you're reading? I've got, I have like four nonfiction books I'm in the middle of. And I, because I'm writing a story that's a retelling sort of, it's like a, very different at this point, but it's a retelling <laughs> of the back eye from uh, Euripides. Basically, I'm just trying to do a lot of research to cover my bases, but everything I'm reading is incredibly dense. And dry. Some, I mean, some of it's interesting, but like a lot of it's only tangentially related in that it explains the macro, which mm. is what I need. But oh my god, it's a lot. And it's dense, and it never ends. And sometimes it takes me like an hour to read two pages on one of these. Yeah. Like, oh my god. So I keep starting books. Right. <laughs> and I'm also in the middle of Broken Girls by Simone St. James. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, and I started Mayfly. M-A-E-V-E. Oh right. Fly, which is weird. He sent us like the first page of that. Yeah. I remember the... when that crossed my radar for the, I don't remember why it crossed my radar, but I remember looking at it and the cover and the blurbs and the summary. The covers! And I was like, I think smack <laughs> This looks weird. It is weird uh, as shit. It's super, I'm like, it's an ebook, so I've been reading it when I leave the house on my phone. So I'm only like two, three chapters in, but basically this woman lives with her Comatose. CJ Lead is the author. She got her MFA from Columbia and now lives in LA. The main character works at Disneyland and she plays what's the blonde ice princess? Elsa. <laughs> you have nibblings, I don't. True. <laughs> and she doesn't have any contact with her parents. And she lives with her grandmother, who's comatose and dying in this big three-story house built into a hill and it's just them and i have suspicions but like i am only three chapters in so i don't want to go to basically it's weird as shit <laughs> i like how nothing you've said so far is particularly weird <laughs> and you're just like the prose is she works so at disneyland she has a comatose grandmother they live in a three-story house set into a hill I have my suspicions <laughs> about the grandmother. Because, <laughs> like, but boy, is it weird that they have a three-story house in L.A. Yes, that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the weird part. They have a the nice house. Part. Everything else is normal. She works at Disneyland, and the opening scene is her and her BFF, who plays the other Ice Princess character. There's a one. Her sister? Yeah. Oh, okay. Anna. Anna. Okay. Elsa and Anna. She's not an ice princess. Whatever. <laughs> Let me break down the entire No. <laughs> no. We're, we're focusing on the weirdness. So the opening scene is the main character and her friend Kate being princesses at Disneyland with this little girl and this little boy. And the little girl is just like squealing and excited. And the main character is... And this is the first person. So she's like talking directly to the reader. And she's telling us about how she's watching this like five-year-old boy stare at her friend's chest and then reach out to grab a boob as his mother takes a picture of all four of them. And then she makes eye contact with the dad who is like weirdly like, yeah, that's my kid. And sort of like sees her seeing him do that. And is like, well, what are you going to do? And then she goes home 
to her coma. No, she doesn't go home. She goes on break, her and Kate, and they do lines of coke in the break room. And then, <laughs> see, this is a weird book. And then their supervisor comes in and is, she's very like portrayed as goody two shoes, but her whole thing is that she used to be Elsa and then her boobs got too big to fit the costume. So now she's not allowed to be Elsa and she's really, really sad about it. She's a victim. That's the word they use. <laughs> and then she goes home to, and talks about these weird, like, expensive cactuses that are, like, planted in the front yard. And they can cause, like, rashes and blindness and death. Nobody knows that, but I know that. And then we go in and see her comatose grandmother. Like, <laughs> I don't is, understand what this, this is book like, is about. I'm, like, 15 pages in. It's not a long book. Right. But, like, it's weird as shit. <laughs> Are you enjoying? I don't know. I don't know yet. Too I soon. don't know yet. Too soon to tell. It was hmm. the open. The first chapter was badass. Yeah, that first page was like, ooh. But then you get to the part with the little boy grabbing your friend's boob. And yeah, that's just... weird. That's weird. Bad. Yeah, bad weird, weird in a bad way. Yeah, and like the lines of coke and the hating her supervisor for her giant rack is weird. Yes, but also feels forced. Right. I think this is like her persona that she's put on for the reader. Right. The back summary keeps talking about Jason Bateman, so there's going to be dead and blood <laughs> and death. <laughs> Probably quite graphic. Probably semi-sexual. We'll see how this goes. Jason Bateman. He's American Psycho. Okay. Do you know what that, you don't know what that means? I like recognize it, but he's a serial killer. I'm a pretty real sure. Serial killer? No. Uh, no, it's a movie with Christian Bale. You don't know who that is. I do know who Oh, you do know. You know. That guy. <laughs> okay, so that guy. We got somewhere. It's like a businessman who kills people. Okay. <laughs> it's based on a book. I really hope that's all right. I know the rest of the world knows what American Psycho is. <laughs> that will be the reason they all stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> Damn, we messed up what they're talking about. <laughs> if this is what turns you off, we didn't want you anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, you're in the wrong spot, but like, but like, what a weird okay. place to come to for your American Psycho <laughs> Summer Bingo is starting. We just found out today that they are doing it. We found the sheet. So that's coming up. So here's hoping. <laughs> here's hoping you take a nap and then you go to your nearest indie bookstore and find their Summer Bingo. Because a lot of them are doing it. A lot it of them are days. doing it. And if they're not, your library probably is. Exactly. And if they're saying. not, Mysterious Galaxy is, and you can look it up online. MYST. G-A-L-A-X-Y dot com. Yeah! Mist Galaxy. Mist Galaxy. This has been another episode of Infinite TBR. You can find us on our Twitter at Infinite TBR. And we are individually on Twitter as at WhatSmack Said and at Gabalodon, which is like Megalodon, but Gab in the front of it. And you can find all our show notes at InfiniteTBR.com. If you have book recommendations for us, 
or questions you want answered during the podcast, feel free to email us at itbrshelf at gmail.com. <laughs>